Morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Excited to be in church today? Are you ready for a praise report? Anybody want any praise reports? Anybody curious about praise reports? Those of you that are here going, what in the world is he talking about? Last Sunday was Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But for us, it was a very important Sunday, uh, as critical as that is to our faith. For us as a church family, it was an important Sunday because we spent the four weeks leading up to Easter praying. I mean praying, fasting, a whole day of prayer, praying that 50 people would come to know Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday across our locations. And, and so last Sunday we asked for that very specific feedback. And the way I did it, those of you that are here know this, but <laughs> the way I did it <clears throat> was, was I kind of wanted everybody to get involved. So I said, if you already have an all-in relationship with Jesus, then write an A on your Connect card. And more than 500 people across our church, across our church uh, put an A on their Connect card. Obviously a lot more do, but, you know, some people are too cool to fill out a Connect card in church. You know, <laughs> that is. But anyway, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people did that across the 2,500 or so that were here last weekend in Easter services. The, the C uh, is one uh, that, uh, that I was very interested in, and that was if you're considering uh, establishing a relationship with Jesus, but you're just not sure you're ready to make that commitment, then put a C on your card. And, and we had 35 people here in Princeton alone. That, that told us that, and I've been praying for you guys. If you're one of them, I just need you to know I've been praying for you by name all week long that you'll come to that place where you understand that Jesus has nothing but awesome stuff for you. You don't have to be afraid to commit to him. But, of course, the number we're all most pressing into and, and wondering about is the letter B that represented, uh, here's how I phrased it, I am committing to a relationship with Jesus today. We don't have a drum roll, do we? 145 people wrote B on their Connect card. 145 people across our locations. We're excited about what God is doing. Now, you know, we did some checking and we saw some names and we realized in some cases there were people who were professing Christians, maybe to commitment to Christ in time past. They were going all in last week. Some were rededications, recommitments. So we wanted to drill down into that and just, you know, kind of lean in because we were, we were praying for 50 first-time uh, salvations. And so we drilled down and here's what we discovered uh, 55 people checked, I prayed to accept Christ today. 55 people accepted Christ in this house last weekend. So thank God for what he's doing. If you're one of them, please lean into Next Steps. Miss Valerie told you about it in the video announcements this morning. Get into Next Steps. Water baptism's coming. Ownership's coming. Bridge group sign-ups are going on this month. Take your next steps. Don't just stop there. Get into relationship with the family of God as you get into relationship with the Heavenly Father. What you may not realize is that when you've got a Heavenly Father, you've got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters at the same time. And we want you to be a part of this family. So, uh, so let's just lean into a message series that we're kicking off today. If you've been inviting people over the last few weeks, no doubt you've got some people to say yes because we did have close to 2,500 people here last week, and, and that's a higher number than we normally have. So a lot of you invited people, and a lot of yeses came. Some of you probably got some yeses, uh, and they chickened out at the last minute. It's like this, yeah, just some of those people. Some of you may well have gotten a no. I, no thanks, I'm not interested. I don't know, but, uh, but, but I do know that happens, and I think there's lots of reasons for it. George Barna that researches this kind of stuff 
uh, says that the four most common reasons that people are resistant to the idea of going to church, I'm talking about unchurched people who are resistant to the idea of going to church, uh, four common reasons. You tell me if you've ever heard this excuse or maybe in your pre-church days you used this excuse. Uh, one of them was church is boring, it's irrelevant. Uh, there's nothing going on out there that has anything to do uh, with my life. I had a guy tell me one time, I can sleep in my recliner. I don't have to sit in front of some boring preacher and sleep. It's, I said, well, well, I guarantee you won't sleep when I'm preaching because I'll call your name out. I mean, it's kind of. <laughs> but some people say it's just not relevant. There's nothing going on in there that has anything to do with modern life. I don't see the point in it. Second common reason found nationally is that churches are unfriendly. I went to that church. Nobody even spoke to me. Uh, and, and I will disagree with that one on some levels. I think church people are the friendliest people on the planet. Here's the challenge is that quite often we're friendly with each other, but we don't actually break out of our comfort zone to genuinely be friendly, build a friendship with somebody that we don't know very well. We'll talk about that one during the series. Some people say church only cares about my money. The only reason that, that, uh, that, that you want me there is because you want me to give in your offering. Church is just a greedy bunch of people. Uh, and so, I, again, I'll challenge that one, but at the same time, that's what they're thinking, and, and quite often we have to be, uh, be real about that. And the mother of all excuses uh, that you now, no doubt have heard at one time or another, I would go to church, but, but church is just full of hypocrites. I just want to get another point. You know, the funny thing, I've never heard anybody say that about a grocery store. Madge, why don't you ever shop at Food Lion anymore? Well, you know, I went there the other day and the place was crawling with hypocrites. I don't think I'm going there anymore. It seems to me that refusing to go to church because there are hypocrites there is kind of like a sick person refusing to go to the hospital because there might be some sick people there. Jesus said, Matthew 9, 12, is it not the health? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, which is why we often call ourselves a hospital for the hurting. That's, that's what we are. Is a place where hurting people can come and find help and hope and forgiveness and a fresh start. That's who we are. But the bottom line is this. Whatever the reason is that people are not going to church, here's the reality. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but here's the reality. Less than 20% of Americans statistically will be in a God-honoring, Jesus-loving church today. Less than 20%. Down from 50% in 1950. There were 400,000 churches in America in 1950. There are 300,000 today. There's a, there's a reality of what's going on in our nation. And I can't honestly tell you that we can fix that, we can change that, but here's what we can do. We can make sure that we're not the obstacle to them not coming. We can make sure that we're not the reason why that that valid is in fact a reason, that, that excuse is in fact a reason. We're, so we're going to deal with that. We're kicking off this new series, Church Is, and certain stereotypes here. And we're going to be talking about those stereotypes in honest kinds of terms. And we're going to be asking ourselves two very important questions. One is, uh, what, what, if anything, have we done to earn those stereotypes? I don't want to talk about the church in general. I want to talk about the bridge. Uh, and, and all of our location lead pastors are going to be talking specifically. So I want to talk to you about the bridge, Princeton. And we're going to talk, ask ourselves a question, what have we done uh, to earn that stereotype? And secondly, far more importantly, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do to address that issue so that we are, in fact, not a more, we're, we're not an obstacle, a barrier to coming to Christ. We're, in fact, a pathway to it. You understand the early church 
the religious leaders were more of a barrier than a path to people finding Christ. We don't want to be those people. We want to help people come to Christ. So today we're just going to jump into the big one. We're going to go right after it. Church is full of hypocrites. I would go out there. There's a bunch of hypocrites out there. I don't think I want to be a part of that. To unpack that one, we're going to go to a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. So if you brought a Bible, you can flip there. I'll be reading from the NIV. Uh, you can go to the Bridge NC app and look. go under notes. You can open that up, save it to your journal, take your own notes. All the scriptures are there. They'll be on the screens as well. But let's get into it. This parable that Jesus taught us to help us understand this, uh, this very important issue of hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24, 5, and 6 kind of introduce the parable. Then we'll break it down as we walk through it. Here we go. Matthew 13, 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So everybody's got the picture. You've got a big old wheat field. Good seeds have been planted. Maybe the wheat is starting to come up. And then one night, some enemies have slipped in, and they've scattered weed seed all over the place across that field. So let's just invest a few minutes understanding this parable and the process. Remember, we're asking two questions. What have we done, if anything, to earn the stereotype? And more importantly, what am I going to do about it? Because who's the church? Look at somebody and say, we are. So you are, I am, we are. We are the church. What are we going to do to make sure that we're removing that obstacle from people. I think there are three primary lessons that we can learn. I'm sure we could pull a lot more meat out of it, but three primary lessons that we can learn from the what I call the parable of the wheat and weeds. Okay, let's get into it. Lesson number one is Satan loves to plant weeds among the wheat. Satan loves to plant weeds among the wheat. Get back to our parable, verse 27 and 8. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? When, when then did the weeds, where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. So you got the picture, you got the image, wheat, wheat field growing, getting started. Somebody comes in, weeds starting to come up, and some of the servants are coming on and said, uh, where did these weeds come from? We planted, you planted wheat, right? What, what's going on here? Now, I need you to understand this is not a parable about farming. Uh, the field is the body of Christ, the church. The wheat are the individuals who make up the church, the, the fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, the all-in followers of Jesus Christ, the hundreds of people who wrote A last week and the 145 who wrote B. That's, that's, the, fee, that's the people, the wheat. And the weeds are representing people who are pretending to be wheat but in fact are not, a.k.a. they're hypocrites. And so here's a story where Jesus helps us to understand this issue of hypocrisy and tells us to beware, even when you have good seeds, even when you have a lot of good seeds, don't be surprised when Satan sneaks in and plants some weeds. There's lots of reasons that he does that, but I think the primary reason is this. Satan knows that the local church is the hope of the world. I got a few head nods and a few that's right. Satan knows the church, the local church, is the hope of the world. It is the only organism on the planet that he instituted and established for the purpose of spreading hope. That's why we exist, to spread hope. And I got to be honest with you guys, if your hope is in the White House, you're in trouble. I don't care who's in office. 
If your hope is in the governor's mansion, you're in trouble. I don't care who's in office. If your hope is in uh, parachurch organizations, they're great. Glad they exist. I support. I've started a couple of them. I'm not against them, but the hope of the world is not all that stuff. The hope of the world is the body of Christ being the body of Christ in the world. And Satan knows that, so anything he can do to damage the credibility of the body of Christ, the credibility of the church, means that he can reduce our effectiveness in spreading hope. That's why he does what he does. In fact, author Brennan Manon says it this way, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable, he says. Which requires us to ask the question, okay, what exactly, what exactly is a hypocrite? Let me be sure that I know what a hypocrite is since this is such a big deal. Let me make sure I know what it is. So, so the most common definition of hypocrite is what? Somebody who, who says one thing and does another. If that's the definition of hypocrite, are there any hypocrites among us today? Including me, I mean, with me, anybody with me? Come on, bunch of liars in church this morning, come on. (laughs) You know, if you're going to say that's the definition, then then we're all in trouble because we all say we're going to do stuff. Oh, yeah, brother, I'll pray for you. And then walk away and forget about it. I mean, we all say we're going to do stuff that we wind up not doing, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. But that's just a reality. So the definition, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just saying the definition of hypocrisy goes a lot deeper than that. goes a lot deeper than that. The truth is we all struggle sometimes. Baby Christians getting started sometimes are afraid to admit their struggles. They're not sure they trust people enough to say, here's what's really going on and and I want to break free. Uh, Long-term Christians sometimes discover a stronghold in their lives that they've not been able to deal with and and they're embarrassed to admit it at this point because they've been in the church and part of the body of Christ for a long time and now this thing's come to light and and man, they're just, they're, they're, they hide it because they're afraid to tell anybody about it. They say, well, you know, I, I, I got this. This is not okay, but, but, but I, can, I can beat this thing. And so they try to conquer it on their own without the help of the body of Christ, without the help of God, quite frankly. They try to take care of it by themselves. I mean, there's lots of reasons why we struggle. But I need you to understand that's not what, who Jesus is talking about when he goes after hypocrites. I mean, there's a clear line in Scripture between somebody who's struggling with a sin and a, and a hypocrite. One of them is trying to turn that issue over to the Lord. The other one has very little desire to change and is content to pretend. The first group gets grace and mercy and help and hope. The second group gets Jesus' harshest rebuke in all of the New Testament. He's tough on him, buddy. Read Matthew 6 sometimes. He says, don't pray like hypocrites do to be heard that thou shouldest, couldest. Isn't it amazing how many times we pray in King James and we had read King James in 20 years, but when we pray and we're called upon to pray in front of them, and thy heavenly Father, that thou wouldest, shouldest, couldest, bless our lives. It's just amazing what we do to be heard as opposed to just a conversation. I had lunch with some pastor friends some time ago and and we're sitting at lunch and and somebody said, well, who's who's got a prayer? He said, I got one. And we all kind of bow our heads, and there's, it's quiet. And we realize uh, 
David ain't praying. So I look up at David, and he's not bowing his head. He's not closing his eyes. He's looking at the family-style food that's in front of us, and he's just he's going, you are an amazing God to give us spring rolls. <laughs> wow. You know, th- this looks amazing, and, this, and it's going to nourish my body too? What an amazing God you are. Thank you, Lord. And I thought, this guy's got it. It's a conversation with the God you're in in relationship with. Jesus says, don't make up these fancy prayers to be heard. Just talk to me. He also said in Matthew 6, when you give to the poor, don't do it like the hypocrites do to be seen. Make a big deal out of it. Go low key. Most people would be amazed at what our church does for for the less fortunate in our community. And we don't do it for them to know. I, you, know you guys give a phenomenal amount of money that goes out, uh, both here and abroad. A quarter of a million dollars a year probably that goes out to helping less fortunate people. I know your hearts, but we don't do it so people will see it. We do it because there's a need and we want to be Jesus for them. He said, when you fast, wash your face. Don't go around... Oh, woe is me, I'm fasting. That's, you, you got your reward, he said. What's he talking about? He's talking about pretenders. He's talking about people who are faking it in order to get something, which is exactly what the word hypocrite actually means. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hupokritos. Hupokritos. And hupokritos literally means a, a mask wearer, an actor. If you've ever seen Masterpiece Theater, one of those kind of things, is Greek. it comes out of Greek theater where you've seen the two masks. You've got the comedy mask and the drama mask. You've got the smiley face and the frowny face. That, that, that's from Greek theater. And back in the day in Greece, they had these huge coliseums and they'd have these huge plays. Well, they didn't have microphones in those days. And so what they did is, is actors would, would wear a mask. And there was a megaphone built inside their mask so that their voices would project all the way across the coliseum. Well, because they could wear a mask, they didn't have to have a whole big cast to pull off a play. One actor could play two, three, four different roles. All he had to do is go out, change costume, change mask, come back out, play a different role. He just had to know the part. And so you might be a granddad in one scene and grandson in another scene. I mean, you could be a completely different person based on the mask that you're currently wearing. That's a hypocrite. Somebody who wears a mask in order to fake it for something they don't deserve. In fact, I've discovered over the years there are three types of hypocrites that we need to be aware of and and, and really, again, check our own spirits. Type number one is I call the people who sometimes uh, who fake someone something he doesn't have in order to get something he doesn't deserve. Somebody who fakes something he doesn't have in order to get something he doesn't deserve, like the small town a couple who, uh, who were planning a, va- a vacation to New York City and, and they're bragging for weeks, you know, we're going to New York and we're going to see all the stuff in New York and we're going to go to a Broadway show in New York and they talked all about the Broadway show they were going to see. What they didn't know because they'd never been before is that you have to get those tickets months and months and months in advance. And so they went naively believing they could just walk up to the theater and buy tickets and go in. Well, you can't. They're always all sold out. And so what do they do? They stayed around until after the play was over, and, uh, and they, they got programs that had gotten thrown away, and they got ticket stubs that were thrown away, and they found themselves in a position, do we, do, do we go home and admit, swallow our pride, and admit what happened, 
Or do we take these programs and ticket stubs home and fake it? In other words, they had been to the theater, but they'd never had the experience of seeing a play. They had been to the theater, but they never had the experience of seeing a play. The sad reality is that I've seen far too many people approach the Christian life that way. I mean, they got their Sunday clothes. They know the songs. They can talk the lingo, but they've never really experienced the life-changing power of God in their lives. But it's to their advantage to pretend they have. I mean, being a part of a church, you know, kind of looks good on your resume, or sometimes it keeps mama at bay who wants you there. You know, sometimes there's business contacts that can be made. I had a guy tell me one time, uh, I invited him to church. He said, you got any good-looking single women in your church? I said, yeah, hundreds of them. He said, okay, I'll be there. Okay, well, whatever whatever will get you there, man. Just come on. You start coming after one of my girls, I'm going to come after you. You got that? <laughs> you know, there's lots of reasons why people might want to be a part of a church. But for them, for those folks, they're just pretending to have a relationship with God when, in fact, they've never experienced him. They're pretending to have, some, to have something they don't have in order to get something they don't deserve. And if you honestly hear yourself in that description, then the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Type two, hypocrite is somebody who acts one way in one setting and the opposite in another setting. Like the little boy who was out in the yard one day and found a rat and he picked up a shovel and he, he killed it. And, uh, and he picked the rat up by the tail and ran into the house, really excited to show his mama what he'd done. And he came running into the house and he said, Mom, 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 look what I did. And in his excitement, he didn't realize that Pastor Andy was over for a visit. And so he said, Mama, Mama, look what, look what I did. I picked up a shovel and I tossed him in the air. And then he saw Pastor Andy out of the corner of his eyes and he went, and the Lord decided to take him home. <laughs> That's hypocrisy. Deciding how you're going to act based on who happens to be in the room. It always amazes me. I play golf and uh, sometimes, not as often as I like, but I do like to play golf. And sometimes I'll just go out. Friday's my day off. And sometimes I'll just go to a golf course on Friday and say, hey, I'm by myself. You got anybody you can hook me up with? And they'll put me into a foursome and I'll meet people. And it's kind of cool. But I always have this dilemma. Uh, do I tell them up front that I'm a pastor or do I wait until they turn the air blue a few times? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because what happens as soon as, as soon as, you know, they, if I wait, then they're going to go, oh, I'm sorry, excuse my French preacher. Oh, I didn't know you spoke French. Comme allez-vous? S'il vous plaît. <laughs> you know, if they're doing that out of respect for me, that's fine. But if they're changing their behavior just because of who they just discovered they are with, that's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. Type three is somebody who repents on Sunday for something they did on Saturday, fully intending to do it again on Monday. <laughs> the classic example of that from, from modern history, some of you remember Gary Hart ran for president in 1988. Those of you who are too young for that may have seen the movie that came out last year with Hugh Jackman called The Front Runner. It was a movie about Gary Hart when he was a candidate. Some news media people discovered that he was having an affair with Donna Rice and he denied it 
vehemently. He said, no, it's not happening. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm, I'm faithful to my wife. And, and over and over again until somebody finally got some pictures and the pictures came out and they ran in the newspapers and, and, and Hart obviously didn't win the presidency. But his response had a profound influence on modern American politics. And here's the phrase that he used when they finally got him on camera and called him out with the picture that was evidence of what was going on. He said, there's a difference between public morality and private morality. No, Mr. Hart, there isn't. That's called hypocrisy. And yet it's invaded our culture in dramatic kinds of levels. Guys, whether we're talking about somebody who fakes something he doesn't have in order to get something he doesn't deserve or acts one way in one setting and a different way in another setting depending on who's there or repents on Sunday for something he did on Saturday that he's going to do again on Monday, it wasn't really real. The lesson we get, number one, is don't be surprised when you discover that Satan loves to plant weeds in the body of Christ. What's his goal? His goal is to destroy the harvest. That's his goal, is to stop us from accomplishing what it is he's called us to do. Nevertheless, lesson number two from our parable, <coughs> Jesus says, let the weeds grow for now. Let the weeds grow for now. And that may surprise you because Jesus was pretty clear about how he felt about hypocrites. Matthew 23, verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but are on the inside full of dead men's bones and everything unclean come on Jesus tell me what you really think <laughs> I mean that's about as direct as you can get that's about as clear as you can get right go Jesus yeah man you tell them get rid of them get them hypocrites out of here no that's not what he's saying as clear as he is in calling them out and challenging them he's equally clear about what we should do when we discover that there are hypocrites among us Go back to the parable, verse 28 and 9. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Ask anybody who's ever farmed wheat, and they will tell you that wheat has a very shallow root system. It doesn't go deep into the ground. It's very shallow. It's, it's extensive, uh, but it's very shallow. And what, they, what wheat plants do is they intertwine with all the other plants around them, and that's what gives them the strength to stand up. And they draw the nutrients from the soil, and they stand up against the wind, and that's, that's how they survive. That's how they thrive. So it's impossible to pull up a wheat plant that's right beside uh, a weed plant without just destroying both because the roots are completely uh, intertwined. What Jesus is saying to us is that it's very difficult to tell the difference sometimes. It's really hard to tell the difference between somebody who's struggling with a sin, falling off the wagon, uh, getting back up, falling off the wagon again, there's, uh, versus somebody who's, who's pretending, somebody who's faking it. I mean, I've had people sit across the table from me, look me in the eye and lie to me and convince me that, that something's not happening that, in fact, is happening. I mean, it's, I've had pastors do that. I had a pastor that I was in relationship with for two years uh, in another state, and, and for two years, we held each other accountable to moral purity, and, uh, and I found that he was having an affair the whole time. And when it finally came out, I looked across the table at him and said, man, 
I, I, I get how you could fall into the trap. We're human. I get how that could happen. That's the reason I want those guardrails in my life. But how could you lie to me for two years? He said, I didn't trust you to help me handle it properly. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I forgive you, but I don't trust you anymore. I'll give you the chance to re-earn my trust, but that's the best I can do because you can't trust a hypocrite. But hear me, guys. If we become the hypocrite police, we're going to hurt some wheat. We start looking around for hypocrites. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. Then, then we're in trouble. Not to mention the fact that all of us have fallen prey to this of one way or another, one level or another. It's, it's a reality for all of us, which is one of the reasons, I think, why Jesus Ask us the question in Matthew 7, 4, how can you say your brother, uh, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? He's saying it's easy to see what we think is hypocrisy in other people and yet completely miss it in ourselves. Is that true? I mean, we love to think we got others all figured out. We know exactly why they acted the way they did, but we can't read minds and we can't read hearts. No matter how fun you think it is, we just can't do it. Problem is, we judge other people by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. And when you do that, when you say, so, well, here's what I meant. Well, I didn't mean that. Here's what I meant. You're giving yourself some mercy that you're not giving to somebody else. Now hear me, guys, when you ask for grace for somebody else, for yourself, you've got to know that that grace applies to everybody around you. Jesus said, let the weeds grow for now. Because we all got blind spots. In fact, Paul even warned us in Galatians 6.1. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgiving Lee, restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You may be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Somebody around you is caught up in something. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to forgive and restore and do what you can to help them get back on track. You're supposed to help them in every way you can. Be creative. Think outside the box and ways of helping them, not only because they need it, and that's what brothers do for brothers and sisters do for sisters, but you may actually be in that position eventually yourself, even before the day's over. Jesus says lesson number one is don't be surprised when you find weeds in the middle of the wheat field. Satan loves to plant them. Lesson number two is let the wheat and the weeds grow together for now. Well now, oh, okay, but I, Pastor, I thought, I thought this conversation was about how to, how to undermine this stereotype and now you're telling me just kind of let it happen? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm saying there's a third lesson in the mix and the third lesson is our job is to be wheat. That's our job, be wheat. Look at somebody and say, be wheat. Just look at it, it's a be wheat. What are we talking about? We're talking about being real. Let's go back to it. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first, collect the weeds, tie them into bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that the closer we get to harvest time, the easier it will be to tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds. Does that make sense? So your job, my job, is to make sure we're the real deal. To make sure that we are 
Uh, in fact, wheat, which, by the way, may surprise some of you, but that's the exact opposite in Scripture to a hypocrite. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be, what's the word? Sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That word sincere in the Greek is the word ano. Hupokritos. Remember hupokritos I introduced to you a minute ago? Hupokritos is where we get the English word hypocrite. Ano is a prefix that you put onto Greek words to make it the opposite of. So the opposite of hupokritos is ano hupokritos, which is translated in Scripture, what's the word? Sincere. You see, the opposite of hypocrite is not perfect because we ain't. It's being real. It's taking the masks off. It's being sincere. So how do you ensure that you're wheat? How do you ensure that you're ano hupokritos? I think there's three parts to it. Number one is, is I have to accept that I'm not perfect. I accept that I'm not perfect. I'm not saying wear that like an excuse. You know, when you mess up, just look at somebody and say, well, what can I say? Oh, you know, nobody's perfect, right? Everybody falls into the trap, right? That's not an excuse, I'm saying John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. That's what I'm saying. In other words, quit trying so hard to be perfect that you feel like you have to fake it in order to be accepted. It's one of the reasons, again, that I love the bridge. It's one of the reasons that I love bridge groups. A lot of my bridge group peeps are here. We, uh, Kim and I lead a group in, in Clayton, and if you live in the Clayton area or somewhere over west of I-95, we'd love to talk to you because uh, we got a group that's just exploding and doing cool stuff. But I love bridge group because I go into bridge group. You guys can say, uh, testify to this. I go in and say, now, now, I'm not Pastor Jim, and this is not First Lady Kim here. We're just Jim and Kim, followers of Jesus. We're just in this thing together, and we can take our masks off, and they can take their masks off, and we can talk about what's really going on in our lives, the areas where we are celebrating, the areas where we're struggling. We know we got each other's backs. There's a closeness and intimacy that doesn't come out of if I get it right more than Travis does or Travis gets it right more than I do. It doesn't come out of that. It comes out of the fact that we believe sincerely that we're real, that we're sincere, that we're honest. And if I'm struggling, I'm going to trust you with that. And if I'm, you know, if I knocked it out of the park, you're going to celebrate it with me. That's what group is about. So for those of you that are new, we do semester systems here. So we have a semester of groups, and then we take a break, and we get people to sign up for groups. So it's a brand-new start every semester. May is the promotional month uh, for groups, and, and new groups semester starts in June. And so if you're not in a group, here's a chance. If you are in a group, here's a chance for you to to go to the catalog on the website, look through that catalog, pick a topic. You want to stay in the same group, that's fine. You want to get in a different group, then here's your chance to do that. But get in a group because it's impossible to do what I'm talking about in a large setting. It is very possible to do it in a small group setting. Get into a small group and take advantage of that opportunity because that's where we can take the risk to be real, to be sincere. In other words, accept your own imperfections. But at the same time, number two, is I'm going to challenge sin in my life. I accept that I'm not perfect, but I'm not going to accept anything in my life that doesn't please the Lord. I'm not going to accept anything in my life that pulls me away from the Lord. God said, be ye holy as the Lord God is holy. That's not attainable in this life, but it's our goal. That's the finish line we're going after. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, test Everything, 
keep what is good and stay away from everything that is evil. I accept that I am an imperfect being. I'm real about that while I am challenging sin in my life because I don't want it here. It's like it's yucky stuff on me and I want it off and I need help making sure that I get it off of me. I'm not walking around carrying this junk. The third step to being this real sincere person then is remember that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Keep in mind that the harvest is coming and Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Well, I get that, but, 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 but how, do you, how, do you, how does the harvester know the difference when it's time for the harvest? Here's the difference. This is the bottom line of the whole thing I'm trying to tell you today. When it, if you've ever seen a wheat field or you've ever grown wheat, you already know what I'm talking about. When wheat grows up, it heads up, and, and the, the grain on top is the harvest. That head gets so heavy that the wheat starts to bend down. Am I right? You've seen this? Weeds grow up. They don't head up. They stand up tall, reaching for the sun. So at the end of the day, the Lord of the harvest can tell the difference because the ones that have bowed down are the wheat and the ones that are standing up straight are the weeds. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, God made his name greater than every other name so that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. Everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The angels in heaven, the people on earth, Satan and his demons under the earth, everybody will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wheat bows now. Everybody bows eventually. The only question is, what's your choice? Do you choose to do it voluntarily now? Or will you wait till the great harvester comes? And I, and I can tell you that if you're waiting for one of those deathbed confessions, okay, well, I'll wait to the end and I'll call on him and grace is available. I need to tell you there's only one example of that in all of Scripture, which tells me it's possible. But the fact that there's only one in all of Scripture tells me it don't happen very often. I wouldn't count on it. It's time to say, Jesus, I want to be real. I want to follow you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us no matter where we are in this journey. We acknowledge that some of us in this house are struggling uh, to be real, to be sincere, to trust, to take the mask off. That's a scary thing. Others have learned the power, the joy, the release, the freedom of knowing there are no skeletons in my closet. There are no hidden things. I don't have to live in fear of that coming out because I'm just real. I'm just This is who I am. And I'm not content to be where I am. I want to grow. I want to know. At the end of the day, I'm bowing my heart to Jesus Christ the Lord of the universe. You praying that prayer, guys? 
I hope that you are in your own words, in your own way. I hope that you're joining me in that prayer. If that's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like that, then I want to know that. There's a box on your Connect card. And you say, I accepted Christ today. I bowed to Jesus today. I want to be wheat. Write me a note. We'll pray for you this week. The altars will be open in just a couple of minutes. You can come pray with somebody before you leave here today. But at the end of the day, the harvest is coming. I want you to be ready. Because the wheat goes into the barn. The weeds go into the fire. Come go with us into the barn. Jesus, speak to our hearts, draw us to you, give us that confidence, and then take us to whole new heights in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me, guys. I'm so glad you were here today. We're going to continue this series, and I hope that over the next few weeks you'll really lean into these stereotypes. And, and again, ask yourself some honest questions. Let's, let's just be the body of Christ who brings hope to this world. Let's take it to a whole new level and, and just know that you are welcome here. Regardless of where you are in this journey, this is a place for you. I'm so glad you've come. Come be a part of it next week. If you're new here and we haven't met yet, we've got a guest gathering right outside those doors over by the coffee shop. I'd love to meet you. Some of our staff is there. And so if you're brand new, just go on over there before you leave. Take a couple of minutes. You can go get your kids after we buy you a cup of coffee and give you a donut. But take a minute and let's meet this morning. Take advantage of that opportunity because I'd love to get to know you, okay? God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Father, take us from this place. Use us as hope uh, and, and seeds for good in the lives of the people that we encounter. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name for all that you do. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. The altars are open. Take advantage of that opportunity. We'll see you next Sunday.